yelling and rage, self-centeredness, unforgiveness, bitterness. What do we do with these kinds of toxic emotions, these kinds of sinful expressions? We hate being yelled at, and yet we yell. We can't stand being around a selfish person, and yet we are often very me-centered. We drop the ball, and we need the other people to, to be understanding with us and to forgive us, and yet often we refuse to forgive others. How do we handle these kinds of powerful emotions, these kinds of, of powerful feelings? Well, we'll think through these questions as we look at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14 together this morning. And we'll see that because of God's grace, we don't have to be trapped by our destructive emotions and our sinful inclinations. Instead, we can, by the grace of God, live a Christ-like life. That's Paul's main idea in these verses. Live a Christ-like life. And he gives three keys for living a Christ-like life. First, Paul urges believers to put on Christian virtues. Put on Christian virtues. In verse 12, Paul begins with the word therefore, as he's done so often in this book. And it connects what he is about to say with what he has just said. Well, in Colossians 3.11, Paul talked about the unity that ought to characterize the body of Christ. In other words, the church at Colossae ought to be unified as a people of God. They should be, though they're very diverse, and Paul talked about the church's diversity. There were all sorts of, uh, uh, of differences amongst the people there in Colossae. But these things that would divide were actually to be overcome by Christ. And so now in verse 12, he talks about how to live this out practically. If you're going to be a unified church, if you're going to be one as a church family, this is how you have to live. And the verses that we look at today will guide us in that. You'll remember uh, a couple Sundays back, we talked about the fact that, that Paul taught the believers at Colossae to live out their new identity. He said, put off all of these old things and live out who you are in Christ. And so this morning, Paul's going to help explain even more what it means to put on uh, Christ-likeness, to put on our new identity. He urges these Christians to put on or to clothe themselves with five Christian virtues. Of course, these believers were obviously accustomed to getting up every morning and putting on their clothes. That, that's obvious. But now Paul challenges these believers to intentionally put on attitudes that reveal Christ. They had to purposely live these things out. It wasn't going to happen automatically. There had to be intentionality in their lives when it comes to, to these things. First, Paul says, put on compassion. Put on compassion. Compassion is having a tender heart toward another person. It's showing mercy to someone, especially someone who's suffering. So Paul says, you want to talk about what to put on in the morning? Put on compassion. Next, put on kindness. Kindness is, is having a sweet disposition. It's to be warm-hearted toward people. Put on kindness. How many of you could use a little kindness? Ask a spouse. No, don't. That could start something, couldn't it? Put on kindness. Then Paul says, put on humility. Want to know what else to put on? Well, put on humility. We all need a dose of this. It means to have a proper understanding of who we are in light of who God is. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Did you hear that? Consider 
others as more important than yourself. So this is something that we all need help with, isn't it? Because most of the time, we feel like we're pretty important. And we'd like for other people to recognize that as well. And yet, Paul says the opposite is what honors Christ. You want to you live a Christ-like life? Paul says then you, you put on a shirt, you put on pants, you put on shoes, whatever. Put on humility. A humble person isn't arrogant and isn't self-promoting. Next, put on gentleness. Put on gentleness. This demonstrates a deep concern for the feelings of others. You actually care what your words do to others. You actually care what your attitudes do to others. How often today have we lost this notion of being civil with one another? So much of of the discourse in our society today is so acidic, so cruel, so hateful, so mean. It shouldn't be this way among the people of God. We should be a people who are gentle with our words. Our words should build others up. Gentleness. Put on gentleness. When, when, When you get ready in the morning, put on gentleness, Paul says. And then he says, put on patience. And this means bearing with others without retaliation. Now, it's important to note, this refers especially to dealing with people who are frustrating or difficult. Now, think about that. Every one of us have people in our lives who are difficult. We may be that person for someone else. (laughs) And the Lord says here that we are to bear with those difficult people. Lash out at them. Show our rage and our fury. No, bear with them. Stick with them. Now, that's not, the way we, that's not the way we behave naturally. That's why Paul says you've got to put this on purposely. In verse 14, Paul summarizes the list that, that he's given us by urging the Colossians to put on love. Put on love. To love is to put the best interest of others ahead of yourself. In John 15, 13, Jesus helps us understand love. He says this, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Want to know what love is? It's about sacrifice. It's about giving up what you want for the good of someone else. In 1 John 4, 8, we are reminded that God is love. God is love. Paul spoke of love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul said that love is the greatest of the Christian virtues. So Paul says this sacrificial love is like a glue or a bond that holds the diverse people of God together. So love is the crowning virtue of the Christian life. Not all, but many criminals will tell the story of troubled childhoods, of broken and dysfunctional families, of absent dads, and and of terrible abuse. And to read some of these experiences is sad. Heartrending. You, you've probably heard. Yet we do not say to a violent criminal, since you had a bad childhood, you can murder someone or you can brutally assault someone. We do not let a criminal off the hook because of past hardship. 
But many times as believers, we want to let ourselves off the hook when it comes to our negative and sinful emotions. We say to ourselves, well, that's just how I am, or, or that's how God made me, or I can't help it, I just get mad easy. We like to excuse our sinful attitudes, and like many hardened criminals, we too like to dodge responsibility for our sinfulness. As believers, we cannot ignore these sinful attitudes, these sinful emotions. We can't ignore them. As Christians, we can change. That's the truth of the gospel. We can change. We can live out our new identity as followers of Christ. Paul makes that clear. Our attitudes can be marked by love. Our attitudes can be marked by Christ-likeness. We don't have to live out our selfishness. We don't have to live out lives that are marked by bitterness, by out-of-control anger. We don't have to if we belong to Jesus. So how do we put this idea of putting on Christian virtues into practice? Well, first, is your life marked by the virtues of love? Is your life marked by the virtues of love? Are you compassionate toward others? Are you merciful toward those who are suffering? Are you kind? Are you humble? Do you live in such a way that people are reminded how great Jesus is, not how great you are? Are you gentle in your dealings with others? Are you patient with people even when they're frustrating? Is your life marked by sacrificial love? Are you wearing? Are you putting on intentionally each day these Christian virtues? Do they mark your life? Paul says they must. Next, ask the Lord to help you live out these virtues. It's not that we can in our own strength say, you know what, I'm going to be loving today. I'm going to put up with so-and-so who drives me crazy and I'm going to keep a smile on my face. No, in our own strength we can't. But as we remember who we are, who we belong to. And as we rely on the Holy Spirit who lives within us, and as we read the word, and as we pray, and as we strive to stay close to Jesus, then he gives us supernatural ability to put up with somebody who's difficult and to do it with the right attitude and with the right heart. It's not something that we conjure up on our own. So ask the Lord to help you. Ask him to help you. And and maybe maybe you need to find some verses that, that can help you. Verses about being slow to anger uh, and, and, and uh, verses about forgiveness. Maybe you need to, to put some of those verses in your heart and you need to pray through them. God, so-and-so years ago did me wrong. God, will you give me a heart of forgiveness toward her? Will you give me a heart of forgiveness toward him? And begin to to pray that. Ask him to help you live out these virtues in your prayers. Ask the Lord to help you be compassionate. If you're the kind of person who says, you know what, I'll just say what's on my mind. I don't care what they say. Ask the Lord to change your heart and to help you have a gentle spirit. You know what? God's in the business of changing our honoriness into, into a life that honors him. And that's when people can see Jesus at work. They say, you know what, that old fella, he used to be so honorary and rough. And look at how Christ has changed him. That lady, she used to be so bitter and hard. You got close to her, she'd start telling you how sorry everybody was. Now look at her. She's the most encouraging lady you can be around. You see, that's what Christ does. That's what Christ intends to do. And then people see that our lives have changed and they're drawn to Christ. 
because of the work that he does. So ask the Lord to help you live out a Christ-like life, to live out these virtues. So we've seen that Paul urges believers to put on Christian virtues. Next, Paul offers a second key for living a Christ-like life. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what God has done for you. In verse 12, Paul reminded the Colossians of all that he had done. And this becomes the basis or the foundation for living out a Christ-like life. Paul gives three ways that God had worked in their lives. He says, you want to know why you ought to live a Christ-like life? Because look at all that the Lord has done in your life. Paul reminded the Colossians that they were God's chosen ones. What does that mean? That means that God had worked in their hearts to bring them to a place of salvation. God had moved in their lives that they might be redeemed. They had been estranged from God. But God in his mercy moved in their hearts and they were saved. They were God's chosen ones. Paul reminded the the Christians that God had made them holy. When they placed their faith in Christ, God set them apart. They had been cleansed by the blood of Christ and set apart for for his special purpose. He had a, a plan for their lives to use them for his glory. And he was shaping them more and more to help them become Christ-like. Next, Paul reminded these believers that they were dearly loved. God loved them deeply. What's proof of his love? Proof of his love is that he sent his own son to the cross to die that they could be saved. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. This is the kind of love that God displays for his children. Because God had done so much in the lives of the Colossians, then the Colossians, Paul says, should live a life that demonstrates the same love and compassion toward others. Having been loved so deeply by God, loving others deeply ought to be the response. Now, if you've lost a loved one, I'll bet there are times that that you think back and you remember things that your loved one told you, things that that you cherish and and matter to you. Often think back uh, to to my dad and of advice that he gave me and and ways that he instructed me. His his words and his examples still, still inspire me and challenge me. And I think back to some of his dying words when I find myself worn or tired and those words give me the strength to, to keep going. They, they, they help me. Well, as Christians, we remember what God has done in our lives. We, we remember what God has said in his word. And we are inspired and we are challenged to, to keep bearing with this person. We are challenged to forgive. We are challenged to, to love. We remember what he's done. We remember what he said. And we can't stay the same. We can't stay the same. How how do we live this out? Well, first, never forget God's kindness in your life. If you belong to him, he's shown you unspeakable kindness. He loves you deeply and brought you into relationship with himself. So reflect on the tenderness of God in your life, on the goodness of God in your life. Remember how he has shown you his love. Next, Let the kindness of God toward you motivate you to be kind to others. Let the kindness that God has shown you motivate you to to be kind to others. When someone has been good to you, don't you want to be good to other people? 
Well, if you are in Christ, this should motivate you. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let the relentless love of God motivate you to love others relentlessly. So we've seen that we can live a Christ-like life first by putting on Christian virtue. Second, by remembering what God has done for us. And third, we see we can live a Christ-like life by forgiving others. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive as you've been forgiven. In verse 13, Paul elaborates uh, how to live these commands out practically. He says, bear with one another. What Paul means is that it won't always be easy to live a Christ-like life. Paul says, stick with it, even when someone frustrates you. Now, remember that Paul is writing this in the context of a church family. He's writing this to the believers at Colossae. So what Paul is saying to these Colossians is sometimes in a church family, you're going to be frustrated with people and you're going to have to stick with them. Paul says, don't, don't throw in the towel. Some folks will say, you know what, I don't go to a church because you go to a church and it's just always a mess. Well, you know what, there's some truth to that because all of us are a mess apart from Christ. All of us are sinners. All of us do need him to, to work in our lives and to sanctify us. So yeah, any time you get a group of people together, you've got a mess. Anytime I look in the mirror or you look in the mirror, in reality, there's, a, there's kind of a mess there, isn't there? There's, some, there's plenty of work that needs to be done in all of our lives. So Paul says, you stick with each other. You recognize that all of us are in process. Don't give up on each other. Don't, don't say, oh, forget them. No, bear with one another. Then he says the Colossians should forgive. They would inevitably hurt each other. The believers in this church, the right response is to forgive. So he reminds the Colossians that Christ has forgiven them. Now let's think about that for a moment. You see, God is holy. He's righteous. In him, there is no darkness. There's no shadow. But in each one of us, as we've already established, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that, that's bad, a lot of sinful stuff. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. He, he's holy. It separates us and it puts a distance between us and God that, that, we can't, that we can't span. We can't cross on our own. We have these silly imaginations that if we're good enough or if we go to church some or we go through some sort of a, a religious ritual, that that's going that's gonna, to that's gonna, uh, bridge the gap. But friends, it can't bridge the gap. This is why. Because all that it takes to make us estranged from a God who is perfectly holy is one sin. And you'll never do enough good to cover up one sin. One sin will, will, will stop. Will stop you from being in relationship with God. So they had experienced God's forgiveness. What does that mean? It means that they had trusted in Christ. You see, God loved so much that he sent his own son to die on the cross and to take God's wrath towards sin upon himself. He was buried and he was raised to new life. And the Colossians had turned from their sin and put their faith in Jesus. Thus, as Paul says, they had been forgiven. Friends, the question on the table is, have you? Have you turned from your sin and called out to Jesus in faith? If you, if you haven't, you will not be able to stand on judgment day. But if you do call out to Jesus, you can be saved. You can, you can have eternal life. On March 29, 2017, we received word of a terrible accident 
a bus from First Baptist Church, New Braunfels, leaving Alto Frio Baptist Camp, having been at a senior adult retreat, was involved in this accident. What happened, as, as most of you remember, a young man was, was high on prescription drugs and marijuana and, and hit that bus, killed 13 people, leaving one lone survivor. A young man was sentenced to 55 years in prison. Of course, church members and family members who had been affected by the crash, who lost loved ones, were there that day at the sentencing. What's amazing is that family members who had lost loved ones offered this young man words of forgiveness and encouragement. Consider these words from a lady who had lost a loved one. She says this, We shared our love for him. Let me remind you that him is the young man who was responsible for the crash. We shared our love for him. We told him that we love him and forgave him, and we do. We mean that from the bottom of our hearts. How do you talk like that to a young man whose sinful decisions cost you your loved one? How how do you talk like that? How do you say you're forgiven? How do you say, I love you? And friends, the answer is through Jesus. That's the only way that you can. You see, she was a Christian. She had experienced Christ's forgiveness. And for this reason, she could offer that young man forgiveness. She was giving him what God had given her. Forgiveness. Christ's love. So let's think about living out this idea of forgiveness. If you're a believer, dwell on the fact that God has forgiven you. Let's suppose we had an encyclopedia. Now, I know you younger folks don't know what those are, but it's sort of like Wikipedia. Let's suppose we had an encyclopedia, and it cataloged every sin in your life. Ooh, that'd make the Encyclopedia Britannica look small, wouldn't it? It it, it would for all of us. And yet, if we're in Christ, every bit of that washed clean. Think about that. Isn't that incredible and amazing to think about? Something to celebrate, dwell on what God has forgiven you of. Think about His kindness and His mercy in your life. And then ask yourself this question. Do I forgive others? Do do I forgive others? Do, Do I let other people off the hook? Let's for a minute think about forgiveness more together because this is an issue in most of our lives. Let's think about what forgiveness is not. First, forgiveness is not a matter of how you feel. It's not a matter of how you feel. Um, We may not feel like forgiving. It's still the right thing to do. Second, forgiveness is not forgetting. There's no command in the Bible that says to forget. It's not forgetting. Third, forgiveness is not excusing or minimizing sin. When the Bible calls us to forgive, the Bible never does so in such a way that sin is excused or minimized. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross, because sin couldn't be minimized. It's so serious that Jesus had to die that we might be forgiven. So the Bible never excuses or minimizes sin. So we've seen what forgiveness is not. Let's think for a moment about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is letting a person off the hook when they've hurt you. It's letting a person off the hook when they've, when they've wronged you. True forgiveness will require you to train your mind to think differently. Consider these three commitments regarding forgiveness. These were, uh, I read these from a, from a biblical counselor. 
These things might be worth writing down if you, if you take notes. First, you want to talk about real forgiveness. Don't bring up the offense to the offender. If you want to really forgive, don't bring up the offense to the offender. Now, right there might save you marriage counseling, spouses, okay? Just that. Don't bring up the offense to the offender. Once you've talked through it, let it go. You don't keep bringing it up. Once you've forgiven someone, you don't continue. Hey, remember when? Now, there could be situations more complicated where where there has to be accountability. I'm not denying that, but I'm just saying you're not going to to live in such a way if, if you've forgiven someone that you're constantly wanting to bring it up to them. You don't bring it up to the offender. Second, don't bring up the offense to others. You don't say, hey, you know what? So-and-so did such and such. And the next chance you get, hey, you know what? Oh, so-and-so did such and such. No, when you've forgiven, you, you, you quit all that. You, you stop all that. And then third, and perhaps this is the most difficult of all, you quit bringing the offense up to yourself. You quit saying to yourself, hey, remember that no good so-and-so? Remember when he did that? Boy, I hope he gets it. I hope he gets it one day. If I get a chance, I'm going to give it to him. You know what? You, you stop all that. Forgiveness means that when that thought comes into your mind, you say to yourself, no, I'm not going there. I, my flesh would like to because I'd like to think about how crummy he is. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to remember all that Christ has forgiven me of. Don't bring it up to the offender. Don't bring it up to others. Don't bring it up to yourself if you want to exercise true forgiveness. If you want to look more about what Jesus has to say about this, look at Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, 21 through 35, because the time we won't look at it together. Ask God to help you let go of grudges, to be free from bitterness, to truly forgive as you've been forgiven. Who do you need to forgive? Maybe you need to apologize to someone, seek forgiveness from someone. Will you take steps this afternoon to do that? Would you go home from here and would you pray if, if there's someone in your life that you're estranged and, and you need to make some things right, will you ask the Lord to give you the grace to make things right? Will you put on this virtue of Christ-like forgiveness? As Christians, our lives should not be marked by anger and bitterness and broken, embittered relationships. They ought to be marked by forgiveness. Do you truly know the forgiveness of Jesus? If you can't forgive another, that's a question that ought to go into your mind. Have I truly experienced Christ's forgiveness? Some of you are here today because God wants you to get some things right with people. And this morning, this word is saying to you, it's time. Maybe that's you. So Paul urges us to live a Christ-like life. Justin Ballou was a 33-year-old PE teacher in Austin. He was at a local gym working out in the midst of a high-intensity interval workout. He blacked out. In the midst of that blackout, he, he had a massive heart attack with 100% blockage. Gym staff responded quickly, started performing CPR, used defibrillator on him. He was rushed to the hospital where he underwent emergency heart surgery. And in February of this year, Baloo was reunited with those who had helped him in the midst of, uh, of this emergency, the doctors and the caregivers who, who had taken care of him. These doctors and caregivers had saved his 
life. Absent their quick action, he would have died. Because of these faithful people, Baloo is alive and he's still teaching junior high kids. Now, friends, imagine for a moment what kind of impact you, you can have on others when your life is marked by Christ's likeness. Maybe you'll be the inspiration in someone's life to help them make a a much-needed turnaround. Maybe you'll be the word of encouragement that that helps them walk away from, from a suicide they were considering. Maybe God will use your example and and your love for another to to help them come to know Jesus. Yes, Justin Ballou was given another chance here on earth by folks who, who responded quickly and cared for him. But your love, brothers and sisters, your Christ likeness may just give someone the opportunity to live not just here on earth, but to live for all eternity. So live a Christ like life by putting on the virtues of love, by remembering what God has done, by forgiving others. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to say to you, today's the day. You you may not have another day. We imagine, well, one of these days I'll get that taken care of, but, but we may not have one of these days. Some of you who are here in a room this size do not know Jesus. What's the Lord saying to you? Come to know him. Come to know him. Be forgiven of your sins. Have have the, the, the hope of eternal life. In just a moment, I'll give you an opportunity to, to, to think through what God is speaking to you about. And then after that, we'll stand and sing. And when we do, I'll be up here. Ralph Huerta will be up here. And if you would like to know more about how to begin a relationship with Jesus, about how to be saved, we would love to visit with you. If you just have a need in your life or a request, a prayer for your family, you'd like to come and pray with us regarding that, we would be happy to pray with you. Some of you may just want to come to the front and kneel. Whatever God is saying to you in just a moment when we stand and sing, I want to encourage you to to take that step. Let's pray together.